Welcome to Kendrick's Creek United Methodist Church. We're so glad that you can join us today, and we invite you to join our online family by going to our website and adding your name and address to our mailing list. You can also get in touch with our pastor via his online blog. There's also online giving through PushPay, which is safe and secure, and all funds go back into the community. And now let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you, and we praise you, Lord. And we thank you uh, for all the many blessings that you give us. Uh, we pray that you would be with our pastor this morning as he brings the message. We pray for everyone who's listening, that you would open our hearts, Lord, and let us receive your word, Lord. It is these things I ask in your name. Amen. So a number of years ago, uh, I was had the opportunity to go to ranger school, and I was in. It's got three phases, and one of them is uh, called a mountain phase. It's up in the mountains of North Georgia, and I went in the winter. Um, it's pretty cold, and uh, at the time they didn't have a chaplain at uh, that phase of uh, of ranger school. And so what they did is they wanted to make sure that we had the opportunity to have some kind of chapel services in a couple weeks that we were up there. And so uh, as it happened, like the Camp Merrill is what it was called. It sits on top of the mountain in Dahlonega, Georgia. It's like way up above everything else and it's been there a number of years. And uh, right outside it uh, was this little old church. Like you could just look at it and tell that it had been there for uh, a long time. Um, it just like it was small and like had just a very traditional look. And it was one of those like, you know, church of Mount Zion Pentecostal fellowship full gospel sort of joshua wrath of god kind of church you know it's like that was the that was the thing so they marched us out to it um this one particular day and i guess it was a sunday morning because the church like so we were there like in you know i was in ranger school right like we were in our you know the uniforms and like that smelled bad and was like hadn't eaten in a while and like shaved head and like all of us coming in um like real stinky i don't know how they put up with it they sat us down like in the back and then uh, the actual like church um, folks were there. I mean, it wasn't a ton. It wasn't a packed house, and everybody was wearing you know their Sunday best suit, tie, the whole nine yards. And the preacher got up to talk. And and honestly, I full disclosure probably fell asleep. I was pretty tired. Don't blame me too much. But um, I don't know what he said. All I remember is that he got after it, like, um, and maybe not in a good way. I mean, he was like, had his, you know, he had his handkerchief out. He was sweating bullets up there. I mean, one of the things that I do remember very vividly is that he did not once look up at a single person. He like fixated at the ground. I mean, he was talking, but he was staring at the ground. I thought that was kind of odd, just me personally. Um, I don't remember what he said. Except I do remember um, one general point, which is that like, I was a bad person. <laughs> like that is all that came across. I'm sure he had some other stuff to say. I'm sure some of it probably was even, was even good. Um, but really all that came through was that like, I was bad. And the truth is like, there is an element in the, the human story 
of truth in that, right? We're like human beings, we do tend to be very sinful people, right? We are very self-centered, very self-oriented, very self-focused. Um, that is true. I mean, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's true, but that's not the gospel. That's just part of the story. And honestly, that's the bad news part of it. There is actually good news. It's just growing up here, especially most of what I heard was that like the good news was that, well, God forgives you of your sin and you get to go to heaven when you die, which is also an element of truth, but that's not the whole story. There's so much more to it than that. Uh, and that's what we're looking at today in Paul's letter to Ephesians. So if you're just joining us, we've been working through his letter to this church at Ephesus. Is we, just, we just feel like we need a reset in our world. We need a reset out there, but mostly we need a reset in here in our hearts. So we're going to be looking um, today at that. But as we get into it, you know, I, I think we have to acknowledge at one level that most of us know whatever our faith is, is that there needs to be something in us that changes, that just left unchecked, um, that we need salvation. Right? We may not know exactly what that is. We may not even uh, believe the gospel. We may not look to Jesus for that salvation. We may just look to ourselves. But this idea that we need salvation, we need it from somewhere, like we need to find a way to do it. The, the trouble is, is that too often, especially in the world today, um, we try to find that in and of ourselves. Like we look to our own resource and our own capacities to try to save ourselves. Um, like we think if I can just get this, this other experience or connect with who I was as a child or, or maybe um, do that thing that I used to love to do but I just can't do anymore. If I could only get over that trauma from my past, then everything would be okay. Or if I could just find the next job or the next boyfriend or girlfriend or uh, the next spouse or whatever it is, the next thing, the next experience, the next vacation, like we think that that's what's going to save us. But the truth is, is that in the end of the day, it, it doesn't. Um, I like this word from Jeremiah. There's a lot of wisdom in it. Jeremiah puts it like this. He said, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. There's a lot of wisdom in that. There's a lot of wisdom in going back to the ancient paths. There's a lot of wisdom in going back to the way um, that people have done things for a very long time. And what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians, he's talking about that ancient path. He's talking about the old way of doing things. And we find that in Ephesians 2. It starts like this, and I'll just start reading Ephesians 2, um, verse 1. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And uh, here again, I, this is just, maybe this is my personality, I don't know, I think that some, some definitions are really helpful. Um, just maybe how we can, can unpack some of these terms that are so familiar to us. Um, see, a transgression uh, is a word that like, it, it literally means like a personal offense. Uh, an affront against someone. It, it's an action against someone else, a transgression, right? That's a real big word. I don't use it in my common language. I don't know if you do. Maybe you do, and it's just me. Um, I don't usually go around someone transgressed against me. But it's just an idea that someone did something offensive to you. The other word is sin, right? Um, especially the context that Paul uses it, like this idea of transgression is one 
um, that we have offended God in some way, some kind of moral sense. And that, that, that other word that Paul uses, sin, two different words. They don't mean exactly the same thing. Um, sin is, is actually the word that we translate it from. It's actually an ancient Greek archery term, which maybe you didn't know. Maybe you did. But it literally means to miss the mark. Like that you were aiming at something and you missed. You ever shot anything before? Could be a bow and arrow. I don't know, maybe that's your thing. Maybe if you've ever shot a gun of any kind before, you know what that's like, any, any kind of target shooting of any kind. There's like the target, what you're aiming at, uh, and then if you're missed, you probably have, because you're not perfect. Just missing the mark, that's this picture, this idea is that you're just, you're just off target. You're just not quite hitting at what you're aiming at. Um, that's this idea that sin, uh, Paul's pointing at when he gets to sin. And so we kind of take a step back and look at it not just as, as primarily about behavior, which I think is how many of us think about sin. Is it just about, you know, I do bad stuff. Paul's saying, no, it's about missing the mark, which on the one hand implies that there is a mark to be aiming at, that it's really not up to you. There is an objective target uh, totally separate from how you think, feel, or believe of what it means to be a human being. And that any time you miss that target... Well, that's sin. Uh, in some ways, you kind of take a step back and say, man, well, who hasn't? Well, yeah, that's the point. Who hasn't? Who's missed the mark? Everybody. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what Paul says in Romans. And just like he says it here, I mean, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. I mean, you were, you, there was not life in those places. Um, who's missed the mark? Everybody. Right? And then maybe you ask the question like, well, what is the mark then? Like, what does that actually look like? And, and then you can take a step back in the biblical story. And I guess a lot of different philosophical traditions and worldviews might have different answers to that. I personally think that the Christian answer to that is probably the best answer that's out there, which is that you were created in the image of God and created to, to reflect his heart and character and purposes into the world, to steward his creation, and then to reflect the world's praise and worship back to him. Right? This language that comes all throughout the Old Testament and then into the news that you're created to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to reflect his image into the world and then to reflect the prayers, the praises of the world back to him. And we'll get more on what Jesus says about that a little bit later on. Um, this is just honestly, I assess my own life and I kind of look out, I say, you know what? I kind of miss the mark a lot. <laughs> I mean, you know, I try. It's just, it's pretty easy to do. It's pretty easy to miss opportunities and to just, to not quite hit it where I know that I could. Um, and honestly, the truth is, is that so have you. Whether you think it or not, whether you believe it or not, the truth is like we all do, right? We all miss the mark. We all are a little off target sometimes. And, and honestly, that's not something to be ashamed about. That's not something to just beat yourself up about. It's part of being human. It is a reality. But the question is, is like, once you acknowledge that, you're really not supposed to live there, right? It's like you want to just tighten up your, your group a little bit. You want to bring your aim back on the target. So at least you're aiming at the right space. Because I think where some people run in trouble is that like, they're just not even aiming at the target. And if you're not even aiming at the target, guess what? You're never going to hit it. And so it helps to know what you're aiming at. Um, 
the thing is, Jesus says, uh, says quite a lot about this. I think it's pretty interesting. This one occasion, he was, he was teaching some Jews, we're told, who believed in him, um, who, who believed that he was the Messiah, who believed in what he said about himself. And Jesus said this. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Is in other words, if you, if you hold to my teaching, then you will see the mark. And then you will be set free in that place. Um, to which uh, these folks replied, these Jews who believed in him, they said, we are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves to anyone. Uh, how can you say that we'll be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. This is a really interesting dialogue, but the point that Jesus is getting at is that anyone who sins becomes a slave to sin. It's kind of this, this sort of existential category is what he paints it as, that sin is this kind of force that is out there. In other words, anyone who misses the mark becomes a slave to that. Is that in a certain sense, on your own, and in your own capacity, and in your own resources, you're not able to do really anything else, right? Like, you're just going to miss the mark. It's, just, it's like, um, a good example of this is if you have ever shot a gun before, really any kind of sights at all. I remember having to do this back in the day when I was in the Army, and I shot guns. is a thing thing that we did. Um, yeah, what they called the zero, right? Which is basically the idea behind a zero of your scope, your sights, is that where you are aiming is where you, the, the round will actually land. And, uh, and the problem is like, if you just picked up a rifle of some kind and just started shooting, what you were aiming at wasn't where the round was actually hitting. Why? Because the sights were off. And so what you have to do is you have to, you know, keep shooting and practice and kind of get it to where your point of aim became the same as your point of impact. And that's what Jesus is getting at, right? Is to get our point of aim and our point of impact to the same place. And he says, that is found in my teaching, in my words. If you, if you listen to me and you put it into practice and you really become my disciples and your point of aim can become your point of impact so that even if you miss the mark, at least your aim is true. That's the picture that we see in the teaching of Jesus. Um, one of the things that's interesting from that exchange that Jesus has with these Jews who believed in him, we were told, is that they seem to like... I don't know, be pretty bad at history. Like, I mean, I'm not uh, a history genius. I'm not that bad. But like, they forgot a pretty important part of their story, which is like the Exodus story. If you've ever read back through the first part of the Old, Old Testament, like you know it, um, in Genesis, uh, they eventually go down to Egypt and then um, they're enslaved in Egypt, the, the Jewish people. And then Moses, you know, he has to go to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. If you know nothing else, you probably heard that. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And then Pharaoh doesn't want to. And then there's that whole thing. Talk more about that in a second. Um, but they were very definitely slaves at one point in their life. And they seem to miss that um, somehow. Uh, it says, I think at one level, they had and they hadn't. Um, the thing is that we can't forget that the teaching of Jesus um, and the elaboration of Paul on that teaching that we find in Ephesians doesn't really take place in a cultural vacuum. I think what a lot of people in Jesus' day had forgotten was that slavery in Egypt was really not the problem. Uh, don't mishear me. I'm not trying to justify slavery in any way whatsoever, but, but they've forgotten that there were bigger things at play here, that there were darker forces at work here, other things kind of moving behind the scenes. Paul would talk about, in Ephesians, he talks about this as like the principalities and powers, the spiritual forces of darkness at work in this world. He, he uses that language in this passage that we just read a little bit. There's something a lot sinister, something a lot, something a lot darker. It's, and, and, and truthfully, it's something that is found inside of every single one of us. 
that inherent capacity to sin, that just inherent tendency to miss the mark, um, which is why Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Um, it reminds me of something that I've seen pretty recently in our world. Maybe, uh, maybe you have too. Um, our world's a little bit of a mess right now. I don't know if you knew that. This might be a shock to you. Uh, but it's like, just between everything with the pandemic and then all of the different societal issues, I mean, the conversation, very important, very good conversations about race and policing and um, the use of power and, uh, and politics and integrity in politics uh, and, and, and just how all of that is kind of coming together in our society at this moment. And, and the truth is that that's made a lot of people really mean. Except, I would just caveat that a little bit, is it didn't really make them mean, it just kind of revealed their inherent meanness. You know, it, we think that like, and I've heard this a lot, maybe you've said it, and not faulting you if you have, it's, it's very instinctive, I think, that we just say, man, if only people could just be better. You know, guys, do better, be nice, just love one another, you know, and then everything will be okay. The problem is, is that like we say that and, and I think we have to just really acknowledge, I'm going to be very blunt with you, we have to acknowledge that there are a lot of people, I mean, you and me included, who sometimes are literally incapable. We are not able, we do not have the capacity to just love someone else, to be selfless, to care more about someone else than we do ourselves, to, to really be interested in the good. I mean, I would even go so far to say is that I think it is impossible for someone to genuinely love their enemy, to will the good of their enemy without any regard to their self, apart from something outside of them. That, that's impossible to do on your own resources. I think what we see is that there's like some things that you can't do. Now, we know this in really general senses, right? Like, I'm, there's some things that I can't do. Like, uh, I'm not a builder. I've said that before. I am not a builder. I don't, I'm not really like great with my hands, like fine motor skills. I do not do well with that. Big picture things, I'm pretty okay. I mean, pretty good with words. I can do generally like things outside, but man, like find things with my fingers. Nah, forget it. Like I could never uh, knit, for instance. Praise God. I don't know why I would. I could never do it. Impossible for me. I'm also really bad at lateral movement. You know, like, I don't know why I was never running back, never could be, never will be. I'm not really good. I can go very well, like forward and backward, laterally, forget it. Like I just fall down in a heap. I'm not agile. It just is what it is. There's some things that I physically can't do. And in that same sense, like morally and emotionally and spiritually, there's things that you can't do. You can't do it. No matter how hard you try, you can't do it. It's really hard to do some stuff like forgive and to love and to be generous. And that there's some things in some people that it's just, it's impossible. They can't do it through their own direct efforts. Um, and it is to that point that Jesus said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Uh, there are some things that you cannot do no matter how hard you try. There are some areas where you just cannot experience freedom no matter how much effort you put into it. There's nothing that you can do about it. Uh, and that's why Paul continues on Ephesians, and he says this in Ephesians 2. He says, Because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. And there again, man, there's some terms we need to define. Um, 
One of those is salvation. See, salvation was not at any point in the biblical story, is not today ever about simply being forgiven of your sins and going to heaven when you die. That was never the picture that the New Testament authors had. That wasn't the picture of Jesus. They had other things in mind. It's so much more than being forgiven. It's, it's literally the word uh, um, is synonymous with delivered. It's a lot more like being set free from slavery than just being forgiven. I mean, forgiveness is an element of it, but man, it's about being delivered from sin is like this kind of existential force. It's about being set free from its power. It's about being set free from slavery. Um, It's about being put back together and being made whole. The word literally means in the Greek, it means to be made whole, to be reintegrated again. Um, That's a good picture, you know? And Paul says that we are saved by grace. And so stay with me here for a second. Um, most of us, if the gospel and, and if salvation is really just about the forgiveness of sins, then what role does grace play in that? Well, grace then becomes this idea of like, well, it's God's forgiveness. Um, it's his mercy, um, which, you know, Paul talks about mercy. And then he also talks about grace. Those are not the same words. Grace is merciful, but it is not mercy. Does that make sense? Uh, it's more than that. It's, a, it's about something that's bigger than that. That grace, we would say quite literally, is not just this idea of unmerited favor. It is unmerited, and it is God's favor, but it is bigger than that. Grace is God's power at work in you to do what you could never do through direct effort on your own. You cannot save yourself. That's why Paul says, like he does, you are saved, you are delivered, you are made whole by grace, by God's power at work in you that some, to do something that you couldn't do through your own direct efforts. Let me make this a little more applicable for you. Um, you'll see uh, in the story, one of the big backdrops, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, is this Exodus story. I mean, Paul is a Pharisee, he's a Jewish, I mean, he's a teacher, he's a rabbi. Jesus was a Jewish teacher as well. Like, this backdrop of the the Exodus is so important to the Jewish story. And so we would do well to pay attention to it too, especially when we're talking about these ideas of salvation. It just comes out so strongly. Um, As I mentioned before, is that the people of Israel, they're enslaved in Egypt. Um, Pharaoh, who's kind of this, you know, the Egyptian king, um, doesn't want to let him go. I mean, they're a slave labor force. What's he going to do? You know, his economy is built on these people. He depends on them. Give the guy a break, you know? He's just trying to just trying to make Egypt great. That's all he's trying to do. And, and the fact is that, like, that's really, um, he, he's got some issues that he's got to face. And, uh, and what, what um, God is doing here is he's sending Moses to set the people free in that existential way, not just literally from the slavery there, but, but to point to a bigger story. Um, and so we're told that eventually Pharaoh relents. He lets the people go. They head to- out of Egypt towards the Red Sea onto the promised land that God had promised them. They get up to the Red Sea. Apparently Pharaoh changes mind because uh, he realized like, huh, my economy is going to be wrecked now. I think I probably should do something about this. So he sends his army out after his uh, slaves that he released. Um, and uh, wanted to bring them back home. Well, to his home, not their home. Uh, the point, though, is that God wanted to bring them to their home, not Pharaoh's home. And so this is what we're told. We're told that Moses stretched his hand out 
the backs against the Red Sea, the Egyptian army on one side and ocean on the other. This is Moses stretched out his hand and all that night the Lord drove through the sea, drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land and the waters were divided. Which is why I brought you here today. Man, I'm like waiting for this moment. That's why I brought you here. You see behind me, uh, you can kind of just see it I think, um, is Fort Patrick Henry Dam. Uh, it's, uh, you know, a kind of feel like a pretty iconic Kingsport landmark here. We're on the back side of it, so you can see the lake, right? Um, this is Fort Patrick Henry Lake, ironically. Um, just the, So the dam itself was actually built, started in 1951. It took about two years to build. Um, it's pretty interesting. It's about, I mean, from here, it looks like what? 10 feet high? I mean, I don't know, not very big. Uh, the dam itself is actually about, uh, about 100 feet tall like from the base on the other side. If you've ever driven along Fort Henry Drive, like you have seen it, I know you have, and you've seen the dam off to the side. I mean, it's very large, right? It's about, um, it's about 800 feet long, uh, 9,500 feet high. Took about three years to build. They had to relocate 22 families when they were in the building process that took, you know, three years. Uh, they had to move two miles of road, build multiple new bridges. I don't even know how many tons of concrete and other supplies they had to use to build it. Like, I don't know. I'm not that much of an engineer. I'm going to go ahead and say it was probably a lot, though. Um, it literally took an act of Congress, no joke, to build this thing. I mean, it's part of the TVA work to to bring hydroelectric power. So Fort Patrick Henry Dam is a hydroelectric dam. It doesn't primarily control water levels. Just a fun fact for you today. Um, all that to say, this was a big deal. It took three years, a whole bunch of money, a whole bunch of people to, to do this to this lake, right? And like on the other side of the lake, well, there's like a trickle that comes out the bottom. Took a lot of effort, right? And that, and let's face it, right? It also took until the 1950s for that to even be possible. Like not many other points in human history was a project like this even possible, unfathomable. It took us a lot of effort and God does it with a word. He holds up the waters with a word. That is a picture of grace. That with a word, he holds up the Red Sea and brings the people of Israel through to the other side. That is something that they could never do on their own. He delivered them from slavery, out of slavery, into a new life in a way that was impossible for them. And frankly, for anyone else. And honestly, impossible for us to do, to do, to do too. Like, it's, look, look, look at it. I can't even speak, it's so amazing. It's like, that's a big deal. That is the picture of grace. God's power at work in us to do what we could not do on our own through direct effort. And so we see that to be delivered by grace means to be set free from the power of sin, that we're not under its obligation anymore. We're not slaves to sin anymore. We, we don't have to miss the mark anymore, that our point of aim and point of impact are on the same page. Again, they're in the exact same place. Again, um, it means that like there's things that you are now able by grace to do that you could never do on your own. Like when someone cuts you off, you don't have to respond by flipping them off in traffic, you know, and shouting obscenities at them out the window, right? That you could like actually be gracious and, and let it go and not think about it ever again. It means things like, um, things like when someone insults you or says something just really stupid on social media. I mean, you probably know nothing about what that's like, I'm sure. Uh, and they say something like that and you want to just like roast them. It means that you can just let it go. And like maybe actually pray for them. 
It's like, you know, and, and do something to, to benefit them in some way. It means things like um, when, when someone posts a fake article that like you don't have to share it. Or it means something like um, when someone who looks differently from you and thinks differently from you and believes differently from you and even um, has different political opinions than you, even strongly held political opinions, that you don't have to hate them. That you could actually like want the good for them. You don't have to talk down to them. You don't have to talk down about them. You don't have to patronize them in any way and say like, oh, well, if only they just wake up. No, you can just like be okay and bless them. Like genuinely from your soul, bless them and will the good of that person. Like for no reason other than that they are a human being created in the image of God and you want the good for them. That's what it looks like. That's the picture of grace in your life to be able to, to not have to, to worry so much about trying to adjust it on your own. It's God's power at work in you to do what you could not do through direct effort on your own. Um, one of the things that we see is that though grace is opposed to earning, it is not ultimately opposed to effort. We talked a bit about this last week, so if you missed that, go back. But there's some things that you can do um, to receive God's grace, right? That is prayer and, and studying scripture and engaging in relationship with God, that you literally receive his power to work in your life, to do things that through your own efforts, you really couldn't do. Right? As you, in, you put the effort into the relationship, and then it produces an, an external fruit that's something that you couldn't generate through your own work. Um, I feel a little bit like a Billy Mays infomercial. Like this is like, I'm selling OxyClean because I just like, I just want to say like, but wait, there's more. It gets better, right? It's, it's not just about the forgiveness of sins though the story includes that. And it's not just about being set free from the power of sin to being set free from slavery to sin, though it includes that. But Jesus continued on in John 8 and he said, and if the sun sets you free, then you are free indeed. There's no going back. There's no going back to Egypt. Once you're brought through the Red Sea to the other side, there's no going back. There's a new life for you that is better than anything you ever could have even imagined on the other side of it. Um, Paul continued, he said this, he said, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in, a, in advance for us to do. This is you trust in Jesus. Remember, faith is a trust that extends out on the basis of knowledge that I know some things and then I act on those things. And ultimately, it's about trusting in the person of Jesus. It's faith. I mean, like a relational knowledge and a trust that goes along with that. So as I trust in Jesus and I trust in his teaching and I trust in his kingdom, his authority, his rule, his reign, that I receive grace, right? His power at work in me to do what I couldn't do on my own. And that then I am delivered. I am made whole. I am set free and delivered into a new kind of life. Um, but Paul says specifically that it is a gift, which I think most of the time when we read that, we think about it as like, as like, you know, like Jesus giving us like a present, like, you know, maybe some candles, maybe. I mean, nice like pumpkin, sweet cinnamon pumpkin. That's my jam right now. Um, and then like, we're like, oh man, that's really nice. Thanks, Jesus. That's cool. I mean, I didn't deserve it. It's a gift. I mean, appreciate it. Uh, but the thing is, most of the time when you get a gift from someone else, um, generally speaking, like we at least instinctively feel like, ah, man, did I get them something? Like I should get, I should get them something. I should at least give them like a mahogany candle back. You know, we got a candle for candle exchange here. Um, we want to give something back. 
And too often that's the story of the gospel, right? That we hear is that um, God has given us a gift and so you should just want to give him stuff back. You should just want to give him worship. You should just want to give him money. You should just want to give him your time. Except the truth is, is like you and I both know that that just inherent want to, it ain't always there. Maybe it is at first. Maybe it is like in the first part of your journey with Jesus, but then like sometimes later on, you know what, you're tired. And if you ever had kids before, maybe I'm just confessing my own failures and faults right now, but like you ever had kids and they're up all night and like the last thing you want to do is then wake up at five in the morning to read your Bible because like your kids didn't sleep, but you know, you're not going to have time throughout the day. So like, what do you, I don't want to, I want to sleep like for an hour. Like, can I get that? Is that a holy thing to do? Is that a spiritual thing to do? See that like that idea is that that this is a gift that then needs to be, um, have something returned in exchange for that. That falls so short. When in reality, this is, I think, really, this really helped me a lot, just speaking personally, is that the word that Paul uses here for gift is literally like an offering. And so if you look throughout its usage in the New Testament, and even then how it's used in the Old Testament, anytime that this particular kind of gift is talked about, it's always in the context of a human being offering a sacrifice or some kind of offering to God, usually in the context of like the temple. But the way Paul uses it here, he said that God is making an offering to you. That God is making like a a righteous, holy, devout gift to you. And I think when you reframe it, I mean, for me anyway, I just kind of look at him like, man, what what do I do to deserve that? And Paul's point is nothing. It's really a gift. It's better than a candle. It's a whole lot bigger too. That's what it means to say that it's a gift. Um, and I think it gets even better. But wait, there's more. See, Paul says this word, that, like you are God's handiwork. Some translations would even translate that like you are God's masterpiece. The Greek word there is literally you are God's poem. You, your life, your new life in Christ, your life when you have been delivered, your life when you've been set free from the power of sin, your life when you know what you are aiming at, you have that clear target in mind, and you have been brought where the point of aim and point of impact are the same. Your life, that life, that is a poem. That is, like, that is God's great masterpiece in the universe. Look, I mean, it ain't bad, right? This stuff, this scene, this view, those rocks, those trees, I mean, that dam... That's, this is all pretty impressive stuff. But your life is God's masterpiece. This stuff is nothing. Your life, in all of its mundane, boring stuff, your life in the diapers and in the laundry and in the cubicle and in the classroom, your life behind that mask in the grocery store, your life is God's poem. It is his testimony of grace and of power and of, and of the transformational capacity of his kingdom at work in the world. As uh, the people of Israel are brought out of slavery and as they cross over the Red Sea, we find this in Exodus 15. You can look it up. I encourage you, maybe go back and look at Exodus 14 and 15 this week. Um, you find that as soon as they get to the other side, they do something pretty interesting. They, uh, they sing a song. They just start to sing. 
And it's literally in most Bibles, there'll like be a heading and it says like the song of deliverance or something like Moses' song, something along those lines. It's literally a song of deliverance. It's like, um, God, we praise you. You're highly exalted. God, you're pretty typical stuff, right? Praising God. You've hurled horse and rider into the sea. Very militaristic, victorious language. Uh, but then it actually ends like this. I think it's really interesting. I, when I read this, like when I was in my office this week and I read this, I literally jumped up and down. I'm so glad y'all couldn't see me. It was super embarrassing. But it was pretty, I was excited. Uh, <laughs> it goes like this in Exodus 15. It ends this song of deliverance, ends like this. You will bring them in, the people of Israel. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Do you know what I have been telling you that the gospel is about for like the last six months what we've been talking about as a church, as a community? What is the gospel? It's that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's literally the reign and rule of God is at hand. Like your life is the testimony that God's reign is here. Your life is God's poem. It is how he chooses to make known his kingdom. It's you. Your life in him. That's what he's choosing to use. And Paul says it's a masterpiece, a poem, his chief handiwork of what he has done, the capstone of his creation. It's your life. Now, really, it's not just your life. It's all y'all's life. It's our life together, right? As a church, as a community, as people, it's our life. And how we live out. That's why Jesus said, by this the world you will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But you, what I believe and I hope that you now see is that that is not something that is possible through your own efforts. If you just try harder, you're never going to do it. <laughs> that point of aim and point of impact are never going to be the same. That's why we need grace. We need God's power at work in our lives. We need um, his spirit. We need his presence. We need that to help us do it. Um, I think this is so important. And the reason that I bring this up is because I've, I've been haunted over the years by this one particular quote from John Wesley. Uh, it's just a sermon that he was given. He was talking, it's called the Grand Stumbling Block. Um, and in it, he had this line. He said uh, that the Grand Stumbling Block to the general spread of the gospel is the lives of Christians. It's not primarily intellectual. It's not scientific. Uh, it's not even like the problem of evil out there. It's like, it's my life. It's my own failures as someone who professes to follow Jesus and whose life doesn't always measure up. It's, it's your failures too. You know, someone who professes to follow Jesus, but whose life doesn't always look like they actually do. Um, but that's why I think when we understand what Paul is getting at, it changes everything. Because we realize that our lives and our redeemed life in Christ, that it is literally God's poem. And that, yeah, you'll mess up and yeah, you'll make mistakes, but grace is his power at work in you to do what you couldn't do on your own. You need grace. Dallas Willis said that saints burn grace more than sinners ever could, like a, like a 747 burns jet fuel. That's how much you need grace in the course of your day left. It's not just about getting into heaven when you die. It's about getting heaven into you before you die. So that when that day comes, because guess what? It comes, is that you will just continue on into the kingdom of God. Jesus said that there are some of you who will never taste death. That's the picture we get. You just continue on, that you'd be like delivered through the Red Sea. The water's held up as a picture of grace. Um, 
And Paul closes it like this, and that's how we'll close it too. He says that you are God's handiwork. You are his poem uh, given to do good works that he created in advance for you to do. And so maybe you just ask that question like, Right, like what are those good works? Well, I think first of all, you have to understand that those good works, they flow from the place of relationship with God. That as you live out of his, his, his resources, not your own, as you abide in him, as Jesus said, as you root your life in him through prayer and scripture and service and worship and, these, and fellowship, Christian community, as you do these things and then you live the course of your ordinary life, that you'll see that it's incredibly very simple. That really the place that God wants you to do this is just, in the course of your ordinary life. That sometimes some people, they're called to different kinds of things in ministries, but really your ministry is look around you. It's in your home. It's in your office place. It's, it's where you go to the grocery store. It's your gym. It's the lake. It's where you vacation. That's where your ministry is. As Jesus said that in those places, you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And even beyond that, even to love your enemies. And so today, I just want to pray for you um, wherever you find yourself, whether you find yourself um, struggling with this idea of salvation, of grace, and, and maybe you've never really trusted Jesus in that way before. Maybe you find yourself there. Um, maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, or maybe you've been going to church for a while, but you're not really like, this is new to you. Uh, maybe you hadn't really thought about grace in this sense. Maybe, maybe there. Um, or maybe you've been doing this for a long time, and you just want to have that help, that power at work in your daily life. You know, you trusted in him before and, and you've seen his hand move. You've been brought through the Red Sea, but um, you need to experience that in the course of your daily life because let's face it, we all need a lot more grace right now. And that's one thing that our world needs a whole lot more of. And so I just want to pray for you as we close out this time together. So if you would, I just invite you to open your hearts, your hands, and let's come to God in prayer together. Um, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your power at work in us to do what we could never do on our own. We thank you that though we so often miss the mark, that you're always there to just gently point us back to the truth. That though we so often find ourselves entangled in sin and in our own little private affairs and, and worlds and little self-ordered um, kingdoms that God you're always there to, to shake us awake and to break up those thoughts and to, to bring us to a new place we bless you for that gift and we pray for grace today for everybody wherever any of us find ourselves that we would be open to your grace that we would be open to trusting you more they would receive that grace that it would change us that it wouldn't just make us want, that it would literally change our hearts and our minds and our bodies and our souls and conform us to your life and your love. That you would deliver us, set us free from the power of sin in the course of our lives. And that for some people today, maybe for the first time, that they would know what that feels like, to be set free from the bondage and the power of sin to control them. And that for others of us, that we could increasingly live lives free from that power increasingly understand our new identity, not as, not as sinners, but as, as children of God. Lord, help us to live in that truth. Help us to understand what that grace looks like. Help us to understand what it might look like for our lives to be your poem, your testimony 
of what life in the kingdom looks like, your testimony to the world. Give us grace for that. Give us grace for the daily moments that come up all the time and help us to choose the good in the course of all those things. We root our lives in you and we trust you fully with all that we are and all that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, thanks for joining us this week, guys. Uh, if you have any, listen, if you have any suggestions on places to, uh, to do this, I mean, feel free to hit me up and let me know. But uh, we'll catch you back here next week in some other place, somewhere around Kingsport or the Tri-Cities. You'll have to tune in to see where. Sorry, no sneak peeks. Um, but otherwise, if there's anything that I can do for you, please do reach out and let me know. I mean, I want to help you as best I can. Um, our church wants to help you in any way that we can. And so please do reach out and let us know. I mean, I, in the meantime, I'm praying for you. I love you guys. It's a hard time to be alive, but guess what? It's getting better. Good times are coming. I believe it. And I think you should too. Um, so I just know I'm praying for you. God bless you and be with you this week. Um, and otherwise, we'll catch you someplace else next time. Y'all have a great week. Make a great day. We'll see you then.